You gotta give us some good news. Yeah. Welcome back, Injury Pod fans. My name is Jeff Mueller, Doctor of Physical Therapy, and I'm excited to bring you the best injury content to guide you through this 2023 season. We're finally here. Diving in here, we've already heard some big injury news come our way throughout OTAs and the start of training camp and preseason. Make sure to breathe, don't panic, have a plan for your rosters going into the season. And know that we're still a few weeks away from week one. We'll probably get more injuries coming down the pipeline, especially as starters play, uh, you know, players get their ramp up time, more reps. So stay the course, trust the intel you're getting from Destination Devi, and make sure you're stashing players who are on PUP and FI uh, in your IR slots, um, especially if it's allowable in sleeper leagues and all that, so that you can stash some free value up until your rosters lock. Grab players right now off waivers, churn rosters, churn value, uh, and yeah, take advantage. All right, let's get into it. So at quarterback, Joe Burrow, he gave us a little scare there a while back uh, with the non-contact right lower extremity injury, collapsing to the ground and reaching towards his calf. The good news here is that he reached towards his upper portion of the calf, and you know enough time has passed now. There was a lot of initial panic. Is it Achilles? Is it a significant calf strain? Will he even be ready for week one? Uh, you know, Jamar Chase was saying, hey, I, I'd rather him be... Um, available, you know, week four, just sit out the first couple games. Well, we know now it's just a calf strain. I know we, we can't really always trust Zach Taylor and what he says regarding injuries, but it sounds like he was correct that it was just a couple week uh, issue and Burrow has already been seen jogging on the sideline. He's been throwing. It's his right calf. He's been, there was some video that I saw where he was pushing off that, that right calf, right foot to generate some power for his throws. Uh, I'm not, concerned here. He still has three more weeks until week one. Um, Initially, if it was a higher grade, I would have been concerned about early season production for fantasy in terms of rushing production, in terms of if the Bengals got close to the goal line and maybe they wanted to do a quarterback sneak, but if Burrow's calf wasn't 100%, maybe they do more of a Joe Mixon run or, um, you know, throwing it uh, down in the goal line. I think week one, we're going to see the full package. If Burrow needs to push it in from the one-yard line, I think he's going to be able to do that. So low concern here overall. Burrow's taking his time with rehab. We already know you know, his mindset towards rehab. He takes care of his body. He, he waits until he feels 100%. So I'm not concerned about Joe Burrow going into week one. Brock Purdy. Okay, folks, I, I saw some wild takes of that his recovery wasn't all that impressive. This man was given a six-month timeline in his UCL repair recovery, which was widely thought of as absolute best-case scenario. Uh, many thought closer to six months, seven months. I even thought closer to seven months. Surgery was March 10th. Brock Purdy was fully cleared with restrictions, um, mostly restrictions on still in a throwing regimen, not throwing uh, without rest break. So he was two days on throwing, one day off, but those two days he was throwing around 100 passes plus per day. And he was cleared to start that at four months and 15 days out from surgery. That's insane, right? So at that point, that tells me his full, he had full range of his, uh, you know, full flexibility in his elbow, no pain, no pain stagnant, no pain with throwing, no pain with function, and his strength was, was baseline full um, at that point for them to be able to say, okay, you can make every throw in the playbook, just limit how much you're throwing and, and keep following this throwing program. Well, fast forward a month, so five months out, 15 days out, um, five months, 15 days out. He was now fully cleared without restrictions well before the season starts, and he no longer know, needs a rest, right? So he's throwing without restrictions. He's throwing deep passes. We even saw him overthrow a pass from 45 yards out. Uh, he's still knocking some rust off, still it sounds like he's testing a couple things in training camp. He's been dealing with a lot of interceptions, um, so it's still knocking some rust off. But, you know, we, we, we have more information now, obviously, from Kyle Shanahan. Uh, but at one point, this was still a quarterback competition, right? People were still hanging on to Trey Lance is going to come in and beat Brock Purdy for this quarterback one job. You guys really think Kyle Shanahan is sitting there looking at Brock Purdy thinking, okay, this guy was given six months six months to return, and he comes back at four months, 15 days, able to throw every pass that I want him to throw. 
He has his Drew Brees, right? Think of the work ethic in rehab. He has his Drew Brees. So, and we even heard Kyle Shanahan recently say Brock Purdy would have to melt for him to not be quarterback one. So that's not happening. We're not all dead by Sunday, hopefully. Uh, so hopefully you guys bought in. Brock Purdy at one point was quarterback 26. I believe his ADP is rising. Last I saw was quarterback 22. I'm in on Brock Purdy. He's going to be the starter week one. Hopefully he makes it the full season. Uh, we know the Niners are going to have O-line problems, but hopefully he can he can maintain good health for the entire season. Kyler Murray has been placed on PUP, which makes sense because he's only, well, when he was placed on PUP, he was at around seven months out from his ACL recon on January 3rd. Now he's about seven months and I believe a couple weeks. Uh, Rappaport also reported that Murray is likely to remain on PUP to start the season, but time will tell. I do think there's a chance that he's active at some point. Um, We even heard Colt McCoy uh, in an interview basically say, look, I I, I can't function on a a, uh, full season mindset of I'm starting. We don't know when Kyler Murray's coming back. And he made it sound like Kyler Murray's going to come back sooner than later. It does sound like Arizona will want him to play. Uh, and, And I... Honestly, I do believe he could play at eight months out. They'll probably be safe with him. I would expect him to miss, you know, probably start on active um, active pup and miss the first four weeks, but then return around week five to week seven is my projection. Uh, so we'll see when Kyler Murray comes back. The sooner, for fantasy purposes, because I know some people are, are buying in for 2023, um, the sooner Kyler Murray does play, the better because the sooner he starts playing, the sooner he can ramp up in production, the sooner he can get more comfortable in-game reps. Uh, rushing production will start to increase. But until he starts, that early season, those first couple weeks, uh, first couple games, his production dip will remain around 25 to 40%, which is a significant amount, especially with how much rushing production we typically expect to get out of Kyler. So the sooner the better uh, for his return. So... My mindset for Kyler Murray, I, I, I just don't know. You know, he, he, I think he could very well be a league winner by week 10, week 12. The downside is you would have to wait that long. The upside is, you know, very rarely do starting quarterbacks actually get injured every year. So if you have a, a quarterback, you know, like, I don't know, off the top of my head, Patrick, Patrick Mahomes, I think his bye week's week 10. Um, you know, some of these guys who their bye week is by week 11, week 12, week 13. If you have a starting quarterback and obviously one quarterback leagues or even in super flex, if you have multiple quarterbacks who their bye weeks aren't till later on and you can just sit on Kyler Murray with him being on your bench, uh, until he's actually producing well by week 10, week 12, when playoffs come around, he very well could be a league winner. The, the, the hard part is we, you just don't know. You know, what What other injuries you're going to deal with at quarterback, what production you're going to get out of your other quarterbacks, and if you can sustain that for multiple weeks. Either way, Kyler Murray is one of my my top buy lows, especially for Dynasty. We, we do believe he's going to play in 2023. We know he's going to play in 2024, and we know he carries elite upside. If not top five, at least top eight. Tons of rushing production. Second year out, next year, he, you know, his production will ramp right back up to where it was before. So if you aren't, especially if you're in a rebuild, if you can sustain Kyler Murray being on your roster uh, and you don't need the production, buy now while there's a discount because there won't be another discount later on. Aaron Rodgers, he has now strained both of his calves, although both seem to be mild as he returned to practice same day for both of those injuries. He strained his right calf and his left calf. Uh, I'm chalking this one up to a monitor situation for now, especially with how quickly he went back to practice. He didn't miss much time, but I'm hoping it doesn't lead to any issues in season. Obviously, you know, calves are important for quarterbacks, especially navigating pockets. Uh, You know, thankfully, Aaron Rodgers isn't one of these quarterbacks who scrambles a lot or rushes a lot, but pocket mobility is very important. Plus, generating force, generating power for these deep throws, you have to be able to push off. So I'm hoping for low concern here. I am chalking up to low concern as of right now because he hasn't missed several weeks at this point. It was just a, ah, he's dealing with this injury, but then he's back in practice. So monitor as the season goes on. At the running back position, Brees Hall, 
Uh, Hall had his ACL surgery roughly around November 15th, which currently places him at around uh, nine months and a week, I believe, nine months and like four days. Uh, my guess came true, my projection came true that, you know, I was projecting that the Jets would keep him on pup until he gets very close to the nine-month mark. Sure enough, uh, you know, they signed Dalvin Cook. Next day, Dal- Brees- Next day after Dalvin Cook signs, Brees Hall was at eight months, 31 days from his surgery, and he's activated off pup. And, oh, my goodness, have you seen those videos from, from practice? He's moving well. Uh, he's showing burst off the line. He's showing curvilinear ability in adjusting to angles at line, you know, as linebackers come in. He's pushing off. He's cutting off of his right side. He's pushing, cutting off of his left side. He has pivoted. He has um, even lined up at wide receiver. The Jets obviously aren't concerned about his knee. Um, I've been watching closely, too. You know, he hasn't, once he returned to practice, he hasn't had his reps cut or he hasn't had rest days, which is very important. That tells me the Jets gave him workload. Same day, he responded well, wasn't dealing with excessive soreness, swelling, pain. Next day, he comes back, still practicing, wasn't given rest. His knee obviously responded well to the prior day workload. No swelling, no pain, no discomfort. If he had been dealing with that, the Jets would likely keep him out and have him rest for that day. Um, Yeah, great sign. If you are curious about my projections for him in year one, go to my Twitter page at jmthrivept to see my pinned tweet. Hall is an athletic freak. I'm projecting him to get back to efficient touches by week five, six, at which point he'll be around 11 months out from his recon. Obviously, a key variable here, as we all know, will be the fact that they signed Dalvin Cook. We know with Nathaniel Hackett, he likes using two running backs. But again, we also know the the damage that Brees Hall did on minimal touches and around 50, 50 to 60 percent of the snaps last year, he is efficient as all get out per touch. Will he will he be that way early on in the season? Probably not that efficient. Um, the good the good news is his starting point was already elite, so the the production dip that he would expect or we would expect to see places places him right around. I mean, his ADP is is running back 15, 16 range. So to me, the production dip on the efficiency per touch and probably the volume dip that he sees early on, um, you know, that places him probably at his floor as running back 15, 16. So I keep seeing people say, fade Brees Hall, Dalvin Cook's going to take all this workload, blah, blah, blah. You're, you're getting Brees Hall probably at his floor with an upside by week five, six, that he's still hitting top five, top eight production. Um, at least by week eight to ten, right? So either way, he's going to pay off at his ADP, I believe, and and most likely be per touch a league winner. So I'm all in. I, to be honest, I'm in on both of these running backs. I think the Jets are going to lean on the run. Uh, we know Aaron Rodgers thrives when he's throwing 25 to 30, 33 passes. Uh, it's not going to be like a Joe Flacco 50 pass attempts a game situation. Uh, but, yeah, I'm in on both of these running backs. The Jets should have a good run game as long as that O-line holds up. Javonta Williams plays football today. I'm very excited. Uh, he is playing tonight against the Niners in their preseason week two game. He's coming off that ACL surgery. Uh, obviously, we know much more than ACL. ACL meniscus, uh, posterior lateral corner, basically his knee blew up. Uh, and the posterior lateral corner reconstruction and meniscus repair explains why he was non-weight-bearing on crutches for six weeks early on. Uh, got off those around December 7th. So his recovery, and, and the Broncos front office has been on record saying this, his recovery has been pretty much miraculous. He actually avoided Pup to start training camp. And, you know, very important. Some people were putting the J.K. Dobbins timeline on him. I was, in fact, doing that as well with with bad information early on back in February of this of this year. Uh, I had been told Javonta Williams was dealing with scarring, setbacks, etc., and I put him on the J.K. Dobbins timeline. I think it's very important, especially with video that we saw around seven months out uh, from his surgery. He was back in camp. He was moving well, and he didn't show, you know, if you think back to last year when J.K. Dobbins was in camp, we... we at least I posted some of these videos. I think Ethan Turner also did. Adam Hutchinson did. 
we saw a video of J.K. Dobbins moving around with obvious range of motion deficits in his knee. Uh, and then after the fact, we found out, okay, he's dealing with scarring, he's dealing with swelling, inflammation still, these setbacks. J.K. Dobbins needed that second surgery. We're not seeing that with Javonta Williams. Javonta Williams is moving very symmetrically, comparing both sides. Knee flexion, knee extension is looking very good. We have reports now that he's actually practicing pushing piles, uh, creating yards, generating yards, breaking tackles. Sean Payton has basically said, this guy looks 100% at this point. So I, I'm no longer fading him for early season workload, at least. I, I think you know the initial, the initial thought was, well, Javonta Williams probably won't get the initial workload that we are expecting, but I think he'll get at least that 50% workload that we were hoping that he would get by midseason. And again, similar with the Kyler Murray mentality, the sooner Javonta Williams gets these touches, the sooner he's going to ramp up, start feeling more and more comfortable per touch, more and more comfortable with every movement that he has to make, um, especially in terms of reactionary movements, the stuff that you can't necessarily you you can train but you can't fully prepare for until you're actually in those situations the sooner he's doing those movements the sooner he's going to feel more comfortable trust his knee more and the sooner Denver's going to trust him with more and more workload so this is a great sign for Javonta Williams I I before starting recording the show I didn't look at his ADP now but uh last I checked it was running back 27 so he's very cheap he's to me, that blows my mind because, especially with how we know Sean Payton uses his running backs, he should be easily a running back two in fantasy. Uh, probably early on, a low end running back two, uh, more by mid season, mid mid running back two, uh, high end running back two. Possibly has some of those blow up weeks where he gets you know low end one, low end running back one production, especially in PPR. But again, if you're getting him at running back 27, he's, he's probably going up higher now, like 25, 24. But again, you're buying him as a very low-end running back too. So all you're looking for is, is this guy going to, um, you know, is he going to pay off at ADP? And then by midseason, is he going to provide possibly league-winning production? I believe he, we're going to get that from Javonta Williams. As long as, you know, I think this is more so from the injury perspective, I do like his ability to, he's been very smart in his rehab, very very smart in his ramp up. I do believe he has a very good ability to, uh, or capability of avoiding any setbacks or re-injuries. The main, I think, thing that we need to consider is how does Denver actually perform as an offense? I think that's the, the biggest question. Jonathan Taylor, we have no idea what's going on with Jonathan Taylor. I, I you know, there has been some reports saying his ankle is still bugging him. He's been getting, he's been leaving the team, uh, these excused absences to get his own rehab taken care of away from the team. I truly don't know, you know, in, in theory, if his ankle surgery was truly just an arthroscopic cleanup, he should have been fine three, four months ago. Uh, and, I, you know, reading between the lines, Jim Irsay had actually said, Jim Irsay, I think Chris Ballard, and Shane Steichen had all said back in, I want to say May, yeah, Jonathan Taylor is, is back to 100%. He's, he's feeling great. So to have all these reports starting to come up after the fact, after Jonathan Taylor brought up the contract issue, brought up the frustrations that he's having, saying he's going to hold out, to, to now hear Jonathan Taylor say, oh, my ankle isn't 100%. I, I still need rehab for this. Looking back at those early reports, I think it's more of a contract situation than it is an ankle situation. So I've seen some people still fading him for, oh, his ankle must not be actually 100%. I, th I think he's just playing hardball here. Um, in theory, what we know about ankle surgeries uh, and what, you know, the early reports that I saw where he just said, oh, there's just some scar tissue that had to be cleaned up. Though, what I know about those surgeries, they're easy recoveries and should be, you know, a three-month timeline, four-month timeline at max. So unless there's something we don't know about, like a repair, which, again, I feel like we would have heard that by now, especially with the early reports from Jonathan Taylor himself, from Jim Irsay, from Chris Ballard. We have multiple accounts. I think this is more of a contract situation. J.K. Dobbins is another contract situation um, that I think we need to watch closely, though it sounds like he did suffer a soft tissue injury back in OTAs and he missed time, but it was more it was labeled more as a hold-in. 
Um, he was activated off of PUP recently, and actually I've seen some video where he's doing some cone work, agility work, uh, lateral, nonlinear movements, and he's actually looking pretty good, pushing off of both sides. Both sides look symmetrical. Um, we, we don't know what the exact injury in OTAs was or which side, but movement analysis, he's moving very well both sides, very symmetrical, um, and I, I don't see any hesitation in his movement. I don't see any any limping, intalgic gait, anything like that, that we would have to be concerned about. So from an injury standpoint, I think J.K. Dobbins is safe to invest in. And especially what we saw last year in his first or in his last, uh, I believe, five games, including the playoffs, he should he, he was able to after his second surgery to clean up the scar tissue and and get him full range in his knee. He got back to his efficient touches, and he was honestly probably around 80% health, not 100%. So I think he's going to be closer to 100%, 95 100% this year, and back to his efficient touches. And, and honestly, um, it's great that he's back at camp with three weeks left to practice. Uh, really, he's had, he'll have about four weeks to practice up until week one uh, in this new offense with Todd Munkin. I think this Munkin offense is going to open things wide up for J.K. Dobbins, and he was already efficient per touch. It's going to be even better this year. So I'm investing in J.K. Dobbins and just basically hoping he doesn't sit out at any point due to the contract issue. Kenneth Walker, he's still dealing with a groin injury, though it sounds like he is very close to return. He's missed about three and a half, four weeks of practice, um, of actual practice, but it sounds like he's back to individual drills and a week ago, a week and a half ago, we heard he was running full speed, straight line. But again, for groin injuries, I care more about nonlinear, you know, cutting, side-to-side -side work, changing direction. That matters way more for groin strains. Uh, and it sounds like he's been able to get back to that without setback over the last couple of days. So he's another situation. We have about three weeks left to week one. I'm monitoring closely, especially given his past history uh, last year with the groin strain that wound up actually being a sports hernia. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping this is truly just a groin strain. I don't trust Pete Carroll at all when it comes to injuries, but I have a gut feeling that Kenneth Walker will be good to go 100% for week one. So if there is any dip there, uh, injury panic, injury discount, bye. Uh, speaking of Pete Carroll with injuries, Zach Charbonnet was dealing with an undisclosed shoulder injury and was initially labeled out as uh, out indefinitely. The good thing with Pete Carroll is out indefinitely apparently means four days. So whatever the injury was, I, I'm kind of assuming it was, it sounds like it was a shoulder injury, uh, possibly labral, maybe subux the shoulder, or maybe he dealt with a little AC sprain. But I, I'm assuming when Pete Carroll said out indefinitely, Charbonnet was going through some scans, getting, getting exams done on the shoulder, determining the severity of the injury, determining, hey, is this something he can keep playing with? Is it bothering him or does he need surgery? Uh, the fact that he came back in four days and then in that first preseason game just laid down the boom on some defenders. Obviously, he's not feeling any concern about his shoulder. He's not feeling any hesitation, leaning in, catching. Uh, he had to reach out for a reception and didn't show any issues there. Uh, full range. And then, yeah, just absolutely trucked a defender. I'm not concerned on Charbonnet with his shoulder, so he should be good to go as well. Kendra Miller, this is an interesting situation because, as we know, he missed uh, he missed combine, he missed some time, he missed um, his college uh, TCU's last game with an MCL injury, and then wound up getting an MCL repair. And it sounds like he may have also been dealing with a meniscus injury as well. I don't know if he had a meniscus tear uh, with the MCL injury, which can be very common. Um, they're they're very closely tied together, and there's some there's some small ligaments that attach there. So oftentimes with an MCL tear, you do have meniscus irritation. Uh, or if this is a, uh, a secondary injury as he was trying to come back from the MCL tear. But we know it's the same knee. Um, he was missing several weeks of practice and then got into preseason week one and suffered a re-injury. So this is, in, in a sense, the third injury to the right knee. Now... I truly believe, I, th I think people, a lot of people were, were ramping up or hyping up Kendry Miller for the early season, especially knowing, okay, Alvin Kamara is suspended for the first three weeks. Jamal Williams is a jag. It's going to be the Kendry Miller show. This is bad news for Kendry Miller because 
the the part that you know Ray GQ has talked about this a lot, especially in the Discord. If you're not in the Destination Devi Discord, I know you're listening to the show on here, but if you're not in the Discord, you need to get in there because you're missing valuable information. What we don't often consider for, uh, especially these rookies, if they're not getting these early rep reps, especially with a coach like like uh, Dennis Allen, he he needs his running backs to perform their duties all of their duties, not just rushing, not just receiving, but pass pro. And he's missing these key reps, and he was already struggling in pass pro reps. He's not going to get on the field a ton in week one through three while Alvin Kamara's out if he's not getting these reps and not getting prepared and missing some of these assignments, um, and especially if he's not up to 100% health, right? Why would they put Kendry Miller on the field and trust him with the workload if he hasn't been able to show them he's healthy, if he hasn't been able to... uh, develop trust with their coaching staff to perform all of these duties. He's missing these valuable reps because of this re-injury. So in my mind, with Kendry Miller for 2023, we have a very key timetable between weeks one through three where he has an ability, he has an opportunity to show what he can do, but then Alvin Kamara comes back, and then it's going to be the Alvin Kamara show and the Jamal Williams show. And unless something happens to one of them between weeks four through the rest of the season, Kendry Miller is not going to have a big role, right? He, he'll probably be more of a 2024 guy. So plus what we know about the the right knee, this has been bugging Kendry Miller now for, uh, what is that, eight months, right? So I have some big concerns on this 2023 value. Uh, I'd even be, you know, Scott Connor has talked about if you can get out on him, especially for a future first, get out, Right. Um, you know, we don't know what to expect. We don't even know if the Saints will wind up still bringing back Alvin Kamara. Alvin Kamara's through, uh, you know, signed through 2024. He has an out, but I think they only save around $2 million. So we don't know what they're going to do at running back. He is round three draft capital. But again, I think there's some concern here, especially with his right knee for Kendrick Miller. Miles Sanders, he suffered a groin strain about two weeks ago. He does have three weeks left to get ready for week one, but he's still missing practice. He hasn't been able to get back to practice yet. Now, if it wasn't Miles Sanders, I would say this this is probably overall low concern. But given the amount of soft tissue injuries Miles Sanders has suffered throughout his career, I think we need to be concerned here. Um, Mostly because, especially from fantasy production, you know, Miles Sanders is cheap. I think that's part of the hype of, well, he's so cheap, and and Frank Reich and, and uh, uh, Carolina are talking about using Miles Sanders in this three-down role. He's going to be a workhorse. But now we're hearing all of them basically say, ah, we need to be really cautious with Miles Sanders. We need to make sure he's healthy. We need to make sure we're not, we're not breaking him down. And guess what? Deuce Staley is over there, right? So look... Don't, don't buy into the hype too much because look at what they did with all of their running backs, especially Deuce Staley with DeAndre Swift. Once DeAndre St- Swift started getting hurt, guess what? It was a three running back committee. So I think that's going to be what it is in Carolina. It sounds like LaVisca Chenault is even going to be used more at running back. And, and look at these preseason games. Carolina is not going to be very good, uh, at least for the first half of the season until they work some of this stuff out. That O-line is terrible. They're, they have a rookie at, at quarterback. How much work are the running backs really going to get? And then now we have some injury concern on Miles Sanders again. So I would stash uh, Chuba Hubbard, but guess what? Chuba Hubbard is now dealing with his own injury, an ankle sprain that he suffered last night. Uh, of note, I, I don't know which side he's dealing with now, but of note, Chuba Hubbard had been dealing with a right high ankle sprain back in college in 2020. Uh, missed about, I believe, somewhere between two to four weeks, and then suffered a low right right ankle sprain last year in 2022 and missed a couple weeks. So my guess is this is a right ankle sprain. Uh, if it is, I have even more concern on him. Just keep monitoring his situation. Uh, Carolina, it sounds like Spencer Brown was working over Raheem Blackshear. Uh, they haven't brought in another running back, so I think they're they're trying to see what they have in Miles Sanders and Chuba Hubbard health-wise before week one, but this is a situation to monitor. So it, it would not surprise me if they did bring in another running back, especially like some kind of vet like Kareem Hunt or you know whoever, uh, especially considering they, they don't, you know, Bryce Young is a rookie. They don't want to overwork him or, or risk getting him injured. So 
Jerome Ford over in Cleveland, it sounds like he suffered at least a grade two hamstring strain. He hobbled off the field and actually had to lay down. He limped off the field, had to lay down on the sideline. Trainers came over, worked on him for a while. Then he was carted off into the facility. Uh, I'm chalking this to a grade two hamstring strain with potential to miss week one. He has about three weeks to get healthy. It's already been about two, I think two and a half weeks since his injury. So typically these would carry like a five to six week timeline. Um, So there's a chance he's back by week one, but it wouldn't also surprise me if he isn't ready till week two or three. If Ford misses time early on, uh, I think that's a a boost to Demetric Felton, who's been performing very well in preseason. He's been showing off for the coaches. even more so, probably just a massive workload for Nick Chubb, but keep an eye on that. Once Ford does come back, I do think he slides right back into the running back two role. He was performing very well for them, uh, just you know now dealing with the injury. At wide receiver, so we have Devonta Adams. He suffered a calf strain uh, about a week ago now. I'd anticipate the Raiders being cautious with him, uh, keeping him out for maybe two to four weeks or so, probably closer to two to three weeks. I, I do believe he's going to be ready for week one with minimal re-injury concern. It wouldn't surprise me if he's back to full practice within the next one to two weeks. So just just keep an eye on that. Those do carry a 25% re-injury risk for wide receivers. So I do anticipate the Raiders going slow with his return, but likely ready for week one. Jalen Waddle, he's suffered a midsection injury in practice roughly a week ago. My best guess here, we, we still don't have more information, but my best my best guess here is a rib injury a strain, um, possibly just a, like a muscle strain too. Uh, I don't believe we have to have moderate to high concern on this because if it was a fracture, if it was a rib fracture, if it was a sports, sports hernia, I think we would have heard by now. Um, so I'm chalking this up to a two to three week absence, probably gets back into the field um, probably by next week. So with, with two and a half, three weeks left to go to week one. So I'm anticipating a full go, 100% healthy Jalen Waddle by week one. Low concern here. Garrett Wilson, he suffered a low-grade ankle sprain on July 27th. Uh, I have low concern here on Garrett Wilson. He's already been back to practice, going full speed, not missing any reps, no re-injuries that we've heard about, so uh, no limitations. He's not even getting rest rest days or anything, so he's back to 100% practice. Uh, great news. I kind of anticipated this. I anticipated him missing about two to three weeks and then back, and he's back. So no concern here on week one for Garrett Wilson. Rashad Bateman, he has had quite the interesting offseason, making a long recovery from his Liz Frank repair in November. And then news came out uh, earlier, I believe right after OTAs or right around OTAs, that he had to get a cortisone injection to manage inflammation. Well, more reports came out slightly after that saying, oh, it's because his hardware was removed and his bones that were still healing were not responding well to his ramp up in his workload. He was starting to run routes. He was starting to do more cutting, more nonlinear, curvilinear work. Um, So he took, I believe, three to four weeks off and then placed on PUP. Uh, To me, that's Overall, that, that's pretty common, especially when hardware is removed. Basically, when the hardware is removed, think of a giant hole in the bone that then has to callus and then harden. And if the player returns too soon, the callus is in a softened state, and it's prone to swelling. It's prone to getting inflamed with excessive workload. It's kind of like a bruise on the outside of an apple. Well, if you keep pressing that bruise, it starts to seep, and, and you know, apple juice starts to come out. Same thing with the bone. It's not a perfect analogy, but same thing with the bone. If if it gets overworked, it starts to swell and inflammation arises. Hence why he probably needed the cortisone injection, which is a strong anti-inflammatory. So at this point, I'm still trying to figure out if I'm personally uh, fading Rashad Bateman too much. I've seen video recently. so, So really interesting here. Once he was removed off of Pup, every video that I had seen had his left foot forward as he was lined up trying to burst off the line of scrimmage. He had his left foot forward, left foot inside. So basically that tells me he's lining up on the right side of the field, not having his left foot trail back behind him, which the left foot is the one that had the Liz Frank repair. So that that told me, okay, he doesn't want to fully push off. He doesn't want to, maybe he's not comfortable yet uh, putting force through the midfoot 
as he's pushing off uh, to burst off the line of scrimmage for his initial movement into routes. Um, very good to see. I mean, encouraging to see a video that I saw a day ago or two days ago. I finally saw him go left foot back behind him, right foot forward. So that tells me in practice, I think he's starting to line up everywhere along the field, which is very important because that sounds like what Todd Munkin wants all the receivers to do. And it sounds like they're starting to test him in more. So, so reading between the lines, that tells me Rashad Bateman is managing and handling well a, a ramp up in his workload and more testing, more pushing him in his reps in camp. Very good to see. And again, he has about three weeks left. What's what I'm what I'm still trying to sort through is we know there's about a 10 to 20% production dip in year one off the list, Frank. And I've still been projecting uh, Bateman's 2023 season to be very similar to Marquise Brown's 2020 season after Marquise Brown had the hardware removed off of his list, Frank. The the challenging part there is in 2020, Brown was actually two years removed from his Liz Frank versus one year removed. So two, Marquise Brown, two years removed from Liz Frank repair, one year removed from the hardware removal. This year, Rashad Bateman is going to be not even a year. I believe it comes out to about nine to ten months removed from the Liz Frank repair. Plus, uh, around by week one, around two to three months removed from the hardware removal. So I still think... He's going to be behind Mark Andrews, behind likely OBJ, Odell Beckham, and probably behind Zay Flowers, just given all those three have been working a ton, getting a ton of reps in the offense, in practice, uh, understanding the new offense and and building rapport with Lamar Jackson, while Bateman has missed a lot of that time. Um, And we know at this point, Bateman is still just doing individual drills and seven-on-sevens. I think he gets back to 11-11. 11 on 11s this next week, probably. They'll probably at least test him out with a couple, couple little bit of workload. Um, so that's encouraging to see, but I, I still think for fantasy, you know, he is cheap. That's the hard part to determine. He is cheap, and you could bank on him. I kind of like him better as a best ball guy, though. Speaking of Odell Beckham, I know it's scary thinking about investing in him, but we have to view this situation as if OBJ is one and a half years removed from his successful ACL surgery. It's easy to focus on the fact that he's had two ACL recons now, which is very scary. It's like, man, this guy can't stay healthy. Two ACLs on the same knee. Um, Is this guy going to even be able to stay healthy this year? But the second one, by all accounts, has been very successful. He was smarter in his rehab. First one around, around he was pushing it way too hard. Four weeks out from surgery, he was doing single uh, single leg squats, lunges, which is like, I don't know what his rehab team was thinking. You just don't do that. It, It... it runs the risk, especially as the plugs, as, a, as you know, where the ACL graft goes through in the tunnel and the bone, you do bone to bone and the bone starts to heal and graft and build together. As you're doing that workload, especially if you're loading too much, you run the risk of creating a little laxity there and then increases the risk for a re-tear, which is exactly what happened to OBJ. So that's kind of my theory behind what happened and why he retore his ACL, but by all accounts, he was much smarter this time around. Um, so, I honestly, with Odell Beckham, fade him if you want. He's cheap enough. I, I do think there's a realistic scenario where OBJ actually leads the Ravens wide receivers in fantasy scoring this year. He is absolutely cooking some of these defenders in some of these videos that we've seen. Any, you know, I personally believe any burst, any acceleration, any athleticism that he has lost which is probably a, a you know probably a small percentage at least. I think he's going to make up in savvy and and tactician work as a route runner and just knowing over the years the amount of time he spent as a wide receiver in the NFL, he's learned technique, he's learned certain things that can throw defenders off and trick them and create a mass amount of separation. So, I'm in on Odell Beckham this year, you should be too. Tim Patrick as you guys all know by now, he tore his left Achilles rupture uh, you know, notably he had been returning from a right ACL tear last year. He was about 12, 12 months removed. So his 2023 season is over. It's interesting too, because, you know, we're starting to see more of these contralateral injuries where, you know, think of Sterling Shepard. He had an Achilles tear. Then on the opposite side, he tore his ACL last year. Um, Tariq Cohen, similar, uh, Jamal Charles, I believe was similar contralateral. So it's pretty interesting to see, but anyways, for Denver's point of sake, um, 
or point of view. So this leaves a potential big role available for Marvin Mims. Though, you know, Mims missed the first preseason game. I think they were being cautious with him because he was still coming back from a hamstring strain. Uh, but it sounds like Marvin Mims is going to play more in this second preseason game. So I'm anticipating a bigger role. We know with Sean Payton offenses what rookie wide receivers can produce. He got a mass amount of production year one out of Marquise Colston, Brandon Cooks, Michael Thomas, uh, even, oh, there's one more. I think not Kenny Stills, but there was someone else in there that, you know, they, they saw over 100 targets, or at least were on pace for 100 targets. Brandon Cooks, I think, saw 69 targets in his rookie year, uh, but he was on a 16-17 game pace. He was on pace for like 117 targets if he had played all year. So Mims, I think, could, could have a monster year. Again, it just kind of comes down to how is Russell Wilson going to play and how is the Broncos offense going to play. Justin Ross, he left practice earlier this week with a hamstring and knee injury. It looked and sound worse than it apparently was because the next day he was back at practice wearing a compression sleeve and performed 100% of the reps, no setbacks, and even mossed a defender. So I think he's okay. No concern there. At tight end, Kyle Pitts, baby. Kyle Pitts is back. This is somewhat of a strange situation because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still kind of curious, you know, six... So, so he had the MCL injury. If you go back and watch that video, I'm convinced it had to have been more than an MCL injury, possibly uh, anteromedial corner, meniscus injury. But typically with an MCL repair, that timeline comes with a six to eight month timeline. And we saw a video once he returned, he was at, at about eight months and a week out and he was still wearing the brace. He was moving kind of clunky. He was moving slow. He's a little hesitation in his movement patterns, uh, very limited, um, you know, big deficiencies seen in his nonlinear movements, like change of direction, all that, <clears throat> you know, all that. Um, but, you know, that, that started a ton of panic. And then all of a sudden, a couple weeks go by, he's getting all these reps. Uh, he actually avoided Pup going into camp. And, and you know, from what we've seen, if you saw that catch in, in this yesterday in preseason week two, so... Very encouraging. What I saw was Kyle Pitts running to his left and the throw being back behind him from Desmond Ritter, which we won't talk about that. Uh, Pitts reaches out with one hand, catches the ball, lands with his right foot planted into the turf and absorbs valgus stress to his right knee, which is direct stress to the MCL that he had repaired. With no hesitation, pivots off that right leg, turns upfield and accelerates downfield into the defender. No hesitation in his movement, no hesitation in his change of direction, no hesitation in his burst and acceleration downfield. I think he's 100% back at this point. I hope you didn't panic. Uh, I hope you bought low. People probably did panic and sold. They shouldn't have. Um, again, well, the, from an injury perspective, I think he's going to be 100% by week one. Um, we obviously don't know what are we going to expect out of this Atlanta offense. There's a lot of moving pieces, a lot of... A lot of weapons Ritter can actually utilize. Drake London's a stud. Kyle Pitts is a stud. Bijan Robinson's a stud. Mac, Hall Mac Hollins looks like a very capable wide receiver too for them. Um, not fantasy, but like their wide receiver too. So I don't know. I don't know what this is going to look like for fantasy production wise, just given the offense and how much passing volume there will be. But from an injury perspective, I, I you know I'm starting to see some some thoughts out there on the snaps from preseason week this this past game where I think I saw so starters all saw around 17 to 16 snaps but Kyle Pitts for tight ends for Atlanta Kyle Pitts saw nine uh I'm trying to remember who number two was Johnny Smith was in there I think at seven and then uh is it Michael Pruitt I believe at six or seven I'm trying to go off memory off that um but I, I wouldn't read too much into the snaps I do believe Atlanta is trying to ease Kyle Pitts in, especially to game action, and just see how he responds. They're probably doing a whole, okay, how does he perform? How does he respond in-game? How does he respond later that day? They're probably looking at him this morning. How's your knee doing? Any soreness, any pain, any issues from the game yesterday with those nine snaps? I'm not reading too much into the fact that he only saw about half of the starter snaps. I'm assuming that ramps up at the next preseason week, next preseason week, and then week one, he's near full reps that we would expect him to get. George Kittle, this is one of the key injuries to watch coming up is he's currently dealing with a groin strain for the second preseason in a row. 
Last year's kept Kittle out for the first two games of the season, but then played very well the rest of the season without missing any other games. Uh, Initial reports indicate that this is a mild strain, and he should return to practice this next week. He's already missed, I think, two or three weeks or so. So this is one that I'm keeping an eye on his status. I'm keeping an eye on once he returns to practice, how much is he performing? How many reps is he getting? Does he deal with any setbacks? Uh, and just watching closely. I don't think this is going to limit him into the season, but again, we we kind of know George Kittle has that 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 injury pass where it's like, oh man, is this guy going to be able to play 17 games? Um, so I would invest... Um, the one, the one thing I would consider, last I looked at, Kittle was around, I think, tight end four. I wouldn't mind fading George Kittle to tight end five or six back behind uh, Kelsey, Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, um, uh, TJ Hawkinson, Dallas Goddard, and then probably for sure this next guy, Darren Waller. Darren Waller should be your tight end two or tight end three for this season. It's amazing what escaping the clutches of Josh McDaniels can do for your back injuries and IT IT band ailments and hamstring strains. Waller has been absolutely tearing up Giants camp. We saw him in the preseason game, you know, last night with the starters. He had like a 44% target share, and I think he played 80, 82 snaps. I'm trying to remember uh, Derek Brown's um, post with the snaps, but off 80% of snaps, he saw 44% target share, which is absolutely insane. He's lining up as a wide receiver. He's massive. He's hard to cover. Uh, I think he's going to be Daniel Jones' top target this year. I I honestly, if there's one tight end who can contend for even tight end one with Travis Kelsey, or at least tight end two uh, with Mark Andrews, especially with, you know, I think it sounds like Baltimore is going to be using more wide receiver three uh, lineups, alignments. Um, and it could lead to less targets for Mark Andrews. But I think Darren Waller, one, can stay healthy for the entire season. He hasn't had any injury setbacks. He's stayed healthy for all of camp. He's ramped up, no issues. He, he did have a little finger dislocation, but that kept him out for half of a day, and then he was back the next day. So I'm buying for 2023, especially at tight end seven or tight end six prices. Most likely after people finally saw him perform, uh, I'm guessing Waller's price increases from here. I would put him at tight end three, if not... I'd probably put him at tight end three, uh, back behind Kelsey and Mark Andrews, very close to tight end two. Enjoy the discount while you can. can. Uh, Mike Gusecki, he suffered a right AC sprain. He was seen holding his arm as trainers helped him off the field. It sounds like it's being reported as a mild AC sprain, but... One thing I'm considering, one, back in 2020, he dealt with a subluxation and a labral tear in that right shoulder. Uh, it could be a little aggravation here, but the fact that he was bracing and holding his arm would, would kind of indicate to me it's not just a mild AC sprain, probably at least a grade two where there's some instability and a lot of pain. I'm anticipating Gasecki missing somewhere between two, three weeks to five to six weeks, and he may not even be ready for week one. So I think this is even an, an even bigger boost to Hunter Henry. We've heard a ton of reports out of camp that Hunter Henry has been leading the tight end role, and, and Mac Jones has been targeting Hunter Henry more than most. So I, I think, especially as a late-round pick in best ball, I'd be targeting targeting Hunter Henry, and probably fading Mike Gusecki for this year. Zach Ertz... Uh, he was he was surprisingly activated off of pup and cleared to begin practicing with the team. He is only eight months, nine days removed out from his surgery. And you know, one thing that I caught recently that I missed early on, and I think kind of skipped past the masses, was Zacherts did not have an ACL reconstruction. He had an ACL repair, basically where they took his own. The, the, whoever did the surgery. Uh, must have looked at the quality of his tissue and the remainder the remainder of what was left in his ACL and determined, okay, we can use his own ligament, we can use his own ACL to repair this uh, while also repairing the MCL. So that actually gives him, that, that more so puts him on an MCL type of guideline or, or return to uh, play protocol, puts him with a six to eight month time frame, which is exactly what he hit. He was activated eight months, nine days out, uh, instead of nine to, to, you know, originally we were thinking with ACL plus MCL, uh, more of a 10 to 12 month timeline. Well, that, that puts him right along that eight month timeline. So 
Very good to see. And if you're curious about that, it's very similar to, like, think about Brock Purdy's UCL repair versus the Tommy John reconstruction. Tommy John, the reconstruction of his UCL would have put him in a, around a nine-month time frame. The repair cut his return to play by about three months. Well, for him, it was even more. Um, but it basically cuts down on the time frame, and it, because you're utilizing your own ligament, you heal a little faster versus trying to absorb this graft and going through, you know, that graft has to go through a ligamentization um, process where it essentially turns into your own ligament. Um, so this is great news for Zach Ertz. Now, for fantasy purposes, I wanted to touch on him because I don't know if I'm necessarily buying Zach Ertz for fantasy, but if, if anything, this puts a massive damper and tempers the expectations that we could have on Trey McBride. Unless Arizona decides to, to trade Zach Ertz to somebody uh, at some point, or if Ertz, you know, I would anticipate if Arizona's losing a bunch of games, I could see Ertz, especially once he's fully healthy, uh, asking for a trade to a contender, which would be interesting. Um, but for now, I would say this, this puts a little damper on Trey McBride and any any expectation that we were having on, on a potential year two breakout for Trey McBride. It just decreases the likely touches that he's going to get. All right, so it's good to be back with you all. I look forward to providing everyone with more injury content as the season progresses. Again, I would anticipate a couple more injuries occurring. Uh, I, I post near daily updates, so if you want to follow me on Twitter or X at jmthrivept, uh, I'll post stuff on there. DMs are always open. Um, I, I do my best to respond to, to uh, comments on there. If you comment and ask a question under any post, I'll try to get to it. Um, work has been crazy. I manage our clinic. It's been about three and a half years of doing that. It's been fantastic. I, I love our clinic. Um, we're just going through a typical uh, season change, you know, with a lot of staff going back to school. Um, change in schedules, and I write all the schedules and stuff. So I've just been a little busier leading up to the season. But uh, if I don't get to your questions right away, I usually get to it within a, uh, a day or so. Um, but if I don't respond, just ask again. If I happen to miss it, I'm sorry, but I will get to it. Um, yeah, wish you guys all the best. Keep churning value on rosters. Grab grab free value off waivers right now because you never know. Like I picked up Richie James, and, and once his hype – picked up. I actually sold him for a free, basically a free third round pick, uh, in a league because a guy wanted him and I had picked him off waivers and I actually don't even, what's fantastic about that is I had Brees Hall, Jonathan Taylor, and JK Dobbins all on my IR slots. And Richie James was one of the three guys that I added because I had the spots. I would have had to drop him anyways, but I got a free third round pick out of it. So nice liquid value. Uh, yeah, Scott Connor would be proud of me. But yeah, do the same, work value, good luck into this season, and we'll see you soon for week one injury pod. Take care. Doctors orders. Doctors orders.